Welcome to Best Served, a podcast recognizing unsung hospitality heroes. Join Chef Jensen Cummings as he chops it up with industry leaders about the humans who've impacted their lives and careers. From childhood guides, to ass-kicking mentors, to the team members in the trenches that make it all happen. Help us celebrate these rock stars by sharing our show and nominating your own unsung hospitality heroes. Connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Now here is your host. What's up, everybody? Jensen Cummings here. Thank you for tuning in. Today we're talking with Sean Kenyon, bartender at three award-winning Denver, Colorado locations, Williams and Graham, Occidental, and American Bonded. Sean, thanks for taking some time. Hey, pleasure to be talking to you, Jensen. I am excited to get into this, to dig into your brain, to talk people, because I know culture is so important to you, and also geek out on cocktails a little bit, but let's start as we always do with some of that origin story. You were born in Glen Rock, New Jersey. Where is Glen Rock, New Jersey? <laughs> yeah, actually, I was born in Patterson, New Jersey, which is, okay. which is North New Jersey, but I was raised in Glen Rock, New Jersey. It's uh, Northeast Jersey. It's about if I remember correctly, about 17 miles outside of Manhattan. Um, it's a bedroom community. So it's, it's like, you know, uh, it's, it's on the commuter rail lines. So people, a lot of people that work or live in Glen Rock, New Jersey, commute to uh, Manhattan every day. Um, and, you know, it was, it was a wealthy, mostly white community uh, that we, you know, like a wealthier, mostly white suburban community. Uh, but my brother and I and our family lived on the other side of the tracks, per se, you know, on the on the section in the in the section of town that was a that wasn't the you know, wasn't the beautiful part of that of that suburban community. And and, you know, we learned a lot growing up about about racism and classism and and, you know, the being, you know, being in a community where you where you were thought to be lesser because of where you lived or what you wore um and you know what your what car your your family drove and you know what kind of house you lived in you know we lived in a two-family house which wasn't common at all and you know we heard a lot of that growing up you know we had we had a lot of discrimination towards us because of that because we weren't we weren't wealthy because we didn't live in the in the white area of town you know i mean it was it's odd you know to think about you know the new jersey in the 70s you know, in the 60s or 70s and 80s being that way, but it was 100% that way. I think that's interesting. And I, I know this is going to come up again and again because of how important hospitality is to you, how inclusive you're always trying to be and bringing people into a community. And clearly that was set into you at a very early age through that adversity. So I know I'm going to bring that up multiple times because I always am interested in how we tether back to those those childhood roots are super interesting. And so that definitely sent some angst. So this next part that you told, <laughs> told us about yourself, I like you played bass in punk rock bands. Yeah. That, that, that angst was in you. You had some fire in your belly and you were playing bass in punk rock bands. I'm so fascinated always in how creativity outside of hospitality, of, of culinary, of food and beverage kind of finds its way into the way that we're creative within our craft now so talk to us a little bit about that who you were as a bass player in a punk rock bands in your youth it's funny because you know i i was always 
I kind of saw myself as an outlier. I didn't have, I didn't have a ton of friends growing up. I was an overweight kid. Not only did we may, you know, get made fun of for, for where we lived and, and how we lived, but, you know, I also took a, I also took a pounding, you know, um, you know, verbally for, for being overweight. I didn't have a ton of friends. I didn't ingratiate myself to people. I kind of saw myself as a, as an outlier. I looked for creative outlets. I, I couldn't, you know, for, for my anger and angst and things like that, I couldn't, I was terrible at art. I, you know, can't draw a stick figure on a good day. Um, and, you know, I needed something and, and music was, was something that I, I was already listening to a ton of punk rock music and, and things that were outside the norm. Um, even, even early, early hip hop at that point, those two, those two, uh, those two types of music really, really kind of inspired me. But as you know, I needed a place to channel my anger. Punk rock was, was it. And honestly, I wanted to be, to play punk rock, but I, I was intimidated by the guitar. Um, you know, four strings seemed a lot easier than six. So, you know, I picked up a bass and I, you know, I taught myself, there was no, I couldn't pick up and, and get on YouTube or, or anything of the sort. I mean, that didn't exist. So, um, you know, you can go to a guitar store and buy a book, which I did. Um, and I taught myself for the most part bass. And then I met a few people who played in bands who taught me chords and taught me, you know, taught me how to, how to work with a drummer and, you know, kind of went from there. And then finding, finding people in my own community and my own, you know, in Glen Rock, New Jersey, which is, you know, there's, as you can imagine, not a lot of punk rock kids around that area was more difficult. So I would have to, a lot of times I took the train into New York city, um, you know, which, which basically took about 30 minutes, you know, and I'd hang around the Lower East Side or I'd go buy records in Hoboken. You know, I'd try to find community outside of my, and you know, kind of try to find your own tribe, see if that even existed, you know? Um, so I would go to some of the bigger, the bigger towns and cities around and, and see who, who I could meet and where I could find, find my people, I guess that would be. Um, but you know, that's how I ended up in bands and playing in bands and getting around is just kind of like getting out there and meeting people. Yeah. I think tribe is a, is a great word. I use, I use that word a lot. I love it because it's just, it's more than like a community. There's, there's some kind of it feels like a call to action. Your tribe is right. about to get some shit done versus a community just kind of gathers together. And I, I think it's so right. interesting. So, and in those people, I, in those people, I found purpose, you know, I mean, I found, I found, um, activism and, you know, I mean, you know, this is going back to the time it was like, you know, the Tompkins square and, you know, and, and those riots back then in the eighties and, and, you know, the, there's the homeless situation in, in Manhattan and, and around the area was kind of, was kind of blowing up at the time. And also we were at a time when in the punk rock community back then that there was, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of skinheads, a lot of racist skinheads. And we spent a lot of our time, uh, a lot of our time, you know, fighting against them or, you know, squelching their rallies and, and doing our best. I mean, you, I found purpose within those people, which was, which, you know, like I said, that's, that's what a tribe is to me. Yeah, connect the dots a little bit with the creativity that you had. You talked about activism and tribe. I think those are really powerful motivators for somebody, especially in their youth. And I'll connect the dots a little bit to your creating tribe within your restaurant family as well. 
how do you see those things connected? Because I'm sure that they are. I'm sure you see that when you reflect on it. Yeah, 100%. I mean, if you think about the way a band functions, you know, I mean, you know, you have your heart and soul, which, you know, we always refer to the bass and the bass and the drums, you know, and, and, you know, you have, you, you know, would you have your rhythm section, your heart and soul, and then you have, you know, you have your drivers and, and, you know, and your singers, the people who are leading, like all that as a chemical unit, you know, with, with a, you know, with a, a central purpose of making great music or making a great song or saying something, you know, when you take that, when you take the creativity that goes into that and, and expressing yourself within music, you, you can also apply that chemical unit to a bar or a restaurant. You know, you have your drivers, you have your, you know, your, your, your bass and your, your bass and drums, you know, you have your lead singers, you have your lead guitar players, you know, you have your rhythm guitar players, you have all that kind of chemical unit working together and, and putting on a great show every night or running a great shift every night is that song, is that music, is that set, right? Um, You know, you want to, you're, you're entertaining in both, in both, both genres, you know, people, you want people to leave feeling great. You know, they, you want them to leave your show feeling driven and, you know, and powerful. And, and if you're trying to get a message across that you got that message across in a bar or restaurant, it's not as much, it's, it's not as political or it's not as act, you know, the, the activism isn't there in, in that, um, in that forum, you know, I mean, you're not trying to, trying to leave people with, with uh, political ideas leaving your restaurant, but the, the activism is the hospitality, you know, you want them to feel great, leave, uh, you know, they, you want them to leave in a better place when, than where they walk in. I mean, the, the, the focus for the two is the, is the same. It's just two different, two different genres or two different um, media, you know, it's, it's different mediums. Yeah, I like it. You're you're still empowering and entertaining, just exactly like you said. You're just in a slightly different lane, but they they kind of run congruently with each yeah. other. They have a lot of the same goals and visions in mind. Well, yeah. I mean, if you if 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 you say say like you know you want to if you want to lay it down like your you know your your bar manager and your kitchen manager, your your heart and soul, right? They're playing off each other. You know, they're the people. You know, your your chef and your your chef and your head bartender or your bar manager that working together, it's fantastic. If those things are incongruous, you know, if, if the menus don't align or the, you know, you have this weird, which something I've always despised is this back house versus front of house mentality. Like if those things are fractured, the rest of it falls apart or it doesn't stay together or, you know, your message is, your message is blurred. You know I mean? There's that, the same chemical unit that it, that has to exist in a band or a family has to exist in the workplace. I, I, I firmly believe like if, you know, you can't hire, you, you can't in a, in a band, you can't, you can't bring on three lead guitarists who all want that, you know, that lead part all want that solo. Right. You know, you have to have somebody who's, who's excited to play rhythm, you know, behind that. And who's excited to play bass behind that and, and be the drum part. There was a restaurant, in Denver that opened, you know, seven, eight years ago, I think seven years ago or so that um, I was speaking to the owner before and he was listing off all these like these A personalities, these, you know, these people that were running programs and all these other bars that he had hired to open his bar with him or to open his restaurant. 
And all I could think of was, was that, you know, you're going to, all these type A's, everybody's going to want to step to the front. You know, everybody's going to want to be in the lead. Everybody's going to want to be either, you know, the lead singer or playing, you know, playing that solo in the middle of a song. Like that, it can't exist. If, if you know, to, to run to another, I'm, I, I'm, there's a lot of analogies here, but to run to a sports, a sports analogy there, all-star teams only play together once a year, you know, and, and it, the, the congruity and the chemistry won't be there if you just staff with all type A's, right? You need, you need people, you need a chemical unit. You need, you need, you need your lead singers and your lead, lead guitar players, but you also need, you also need the, the rhythm section and, you know, all the other, all the other elements of the band or the family, you know, have to, have to work. Not everybody's going to be up front, you know, or not everybody's going to be out front and, and leading the show, you know, it's, it takes all of those, all of those personalities. So when we look to, to staff the bars, we, you know, we don't, we, we look for people who will lead and people who will, who will follow and in between the people who adjust and, and will want to know when it's time to lead and when it's time to follow and, and where to be, you know, I think, to get all that and to be all that you have to give people something to believe in, you know, what that, what that final purpose is. And, and, you know, the purpose for us is would, would be, you know, with hospitality and with, you know, with, with, um, you know, having people leave in a better place when they walked in, that's our ultimate, our ultimate goal and mission, but it takes, a, it takes a lot of thought to do it. Yeah. I think what you're saying really resonates with me because if you think about it like a band, if you think about like you're composing a song, a symphony, whatever analogy you want to use, then all of a sudden it becomes maybe a little simpler to hear when you're out of rhythm, when you're off tempo, when you're thinking of it in that way. So I really like that. I also really like something to segue that you said, kind of thinking about the chemical units, the chemical balance, which was interesting and reading, reading kind of some of the things that you wrote giving me some background i love always digging into everyone's pantry everyone knows that about the show and you said chicken thighs and wine love uh we always have those at the house as well and then in all caps you said coffee and when i'm listening to you talking about the bands about the restaurants and bars i'm like we survive on coffee a lot. There's a lot of late nights because you're entertaining into the wee hours quite often. So why coffee in, in, in all caps? Talk to me about that. You know, I, I, first of all, I, you know, it's as cliche it is, as it is like, you know, I have a morning ritual, you know, I, I wake up earlier than anybody in my house. Um, you know, my wife and my brother and, and my dog, uh, I'm the earliest riser. And, um, you know, I, first thing I do is I'm, I make coffee and I, you know, I sit alone for a little bit and get a little bit of, of meditation time, um, thought time, uh, time to organize my day and, and, you know, see if I can find any, any spare time in it and, and how to, how to best approach it. Uh, that's all done with coffee. I mean, the first thing I do is come downstairs and, and make myself a, make myself a cup of coffee and, uh, it's not, it's, it's the ritual parts of, of coffee are great for me in that way. I mean, of course I'm, I'm a, I'm a caffeine addict. I'll, I'll go through two or three cups in the morning. Um, 
you know, but it's also, you know, when you talk about rituals with it, it's like meeting friends over coffee. It doesn't always have to be, you know, just sitting down and it doesn't always have to be in a bar. It doesn't always have to be in drink, you know, over drinks. A lot of my friends, I mean, I have a lot of friends who are sober and don't drink at all. So we meet at, we'll meet at coffee shops, you know? Um, but it is, it's a ritual. It's a ritually important part of my day as well as, you know, because I'm busy as, as hell. And, you know, as well as keeping myself, keep myself caffeinated and awake. Uh, I just, I mean, I love the flavor of it. I love the expressions of it. I love all of the, um, you know, all the different, you know, from all the different regions you can get from the regionality you can get from it. It's, I mean, it's much like wine in that way. And it's really cool. I don't, I mean, I can't, it's hard for me just to like to run to 7-Eleven and grab a cup of coffee and, you know, or something like that. If I have to, I will. <laughs> and sometimes we've been out on the road. It's not like you can find a great coffee shop in the, you know, in the middle of the country in a lot of places. So 7-Eleven coffee, a Circle K coffee is, you know, it's got to do, it's going to, it's got to tick the boxes that morning. Um, but, you know, for me, it's, it's more about the ritual than I think than, it, than anything else. This is good. I'm so glad. I knew there was going to be something worthwhile to touch on here. So there's a couple things that, again, really resonate with me. One is, man, when you said 7-Eleven coffee, I had a visceral reaction to it because my <laughs> father would drink a 64-ounce mug of 7-Eleven coffee every day, maybe multiple a day. And I do not drink coffee at all. I yeah. cup coffee quite often because it's part of my profession to like know what's what, but mm -hmm. I don't drink it. And it's so environmental that I just remember the smell of stale coffee. <laughs> yeah. And it just, it's, it sticks with me forever. On the flip side, I think what you said is really important. I just knew it wasn't going to be like, oh, I'm fucking dragging ass most mornings and I need coffee just to survive. I knew there was going to be something thoughtful with you and coffee. Yeah. And the ritual part is important. It's something I've actually been talking about a lot lately with people is that I, and anybody who knows me thinks this is batshit crazy, but I'm on a meditation app now. I do 10 minutes of meditation every single morning now. Yeah. I slow, I'm trying to slow myself down, have that routine, have a little time to reflect. And, you know, I do a five minute journal thing. And, and these are all kumbaya things that nobody would have ever said that jensen would ever do these things and i think that's important right. that you said that and you know i'm sharing it on facebook being like hey yeah. restaurant people like take some time for yourself we don't have to be heroes all the time the the macho of i can outwork anybody i can survive anything it there there's there's some value in it there's also a lot of toxicity in it and so i think this is really important that you're saying that, that you know you, I use you were there if you yeah. know I, I i use a meditation app as as well um and, and my 18 year old punk rock self would kick the shit out of my 50 year old self, you know, I mean, for the way I talk sometimes about, about energy and, and, you know, and, you know, nourishing, nourishing my soul. And, but I, I truly believe, you know, that, that you have to take time for yourself every day. And I was taught most of my life to, to be anything but selfish, you know, but it's important you know, as you mature, you know, I mean, not only just getting older, but as you, as you mature to, to take time to heal yourself every day or to, you know, to be mindful and to, to get in a space where, where, you know, your day is, your day is going to be good for you and your body and your soul. And that will reflect on other people. Great hospitality professionals or people that, that believe in taking care of other people all the time, aren't quick 
to take care of themselves. And we've seen that over the last couple of years, we've lost a lot of our, uh, a lot of our friends in the industry, you know, either because of lack of self care or, you know, they, they had the people have this, this Superman idea about, you know, how they can keep going all the time, you know, and, and if we don't, if we don't take those moments to ourselves to take care of ourselves, the ability to take care of other people will diminish over time. Yeah, there's several sayings that are along the lines of be selfish in the service of others. It's about finding that that balance and uh, and the humanity in it, which I think is very interesting. Clearly, all this is deeply seated in you, and, and you have you know highfalutin ideas and philosophies and mantras and things that you're saying to your team and all that. And you're well spoken, and you have the words to crystallize kind of these theses that you have it's clear that it's, it's baked in you from a young age. So I want to go back to where we always like to start with those first jobs in the industry and talk about some of the, those moments. You, at the age, the ripe old age of 12 years old, were a dishwasher at the cellar door in Ridgewood, New Jersey. Pretty sure that wasn't even legal in the <laughs> 70s, but hey. Uh, and I think this is a point where knowing that that was a family establishment family legacy is something that I think is is really interesting and there's a lot of dynamic there and you being a third generation barman. Talk about that job and, and maybe a little bit about what it means to have that influence at such a year, young age in the job, but also just coming from the family of hospitality professionals. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think I, I describe what my childhood was like early on, um, you know, and how we were kind of like, but, you know, we were kind of misfits in in the town that we lived in. Um, one of the places that I first found acceptance, you know, that I, that I found acceptance was in was in my father's bars. Um, you know, no matter who I was, no matter what I looked like, no matter how 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 overweight I was or, you know, I mean, what an outcast I was at school. I was always very, very well accepted by the by the people and the, you know, the people that worked in the bars and the people that the people that were there, my drunken uncles, as my, as my mom used to refer to them as, um, I, when we were, when we were kids, we never, we never got an allowance. We weren't, we weren't wealthy, you know I mean? But if we wanted, if we wanted or needed money, the answer always was from our father was like, well, come down to the, come down to the bar and you can break down some boxes or do some cleaning. We'll find a job for you and you can, you can make the money. So, um, when, when I, you know, when it was, I was, I was 12 years old, I think, I think the legal age was 14. Um, but you could work, you can get what was called working papers back then at 12 years old. So, you know, you can make three thirty-three an hour, which was minimum wage in, in 1981. Um, you know, working a dishwasher as a, you know, working as a dishwasher was what I did. I got, I got hired and I, I worked. I worked the weekend days as a dishwasher in my father's, my father's bar and grill, uh, which was the cellar door, um, the place that uh, mostly I did, you know, my growing up in, in the bars. He had been at two bars before that, um, but I never worked in, I never worked in those, even though we grew up in them. Um, working at the cellar door, when I talk about like being a misfit growing up, like it, it being part of the family in the kitchen, which was literally a family of misfits. I mean, people that, you know, lived on the outer, the outer edges of society. Some of the people had, you know, been to jail and back. There was a, you know, there was, um, 
you know, some, some, uh, people that were from other countries, you know, it was, it was crazy. I learned a lot from the people I worked with every, every day. And I learned, you know, I learned, you know, you, you get taught in school, you know, what, it, what, like, it, you know, what's it supposed to be like if you're, you know, a, a contributor to society, you know, the, what they're teaching you in the seventies and eighties and, you know, being a, being an accountant or being, you know, being a business person and wearing a suit and getting on the train to go to New York every day. That was, that was what we were taught as, you know, a level that, that was like the, the ultimate success, you know, finding your way to do that. And I, that seemed insanely boring to me and nothing I ever want to be a part of, but I didn't know anybody that, that didn't, you know, that kind of didn't embrace those ideals that that was, that was success until I started working in a kitchen, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these guys were, you know, they were musicians in their off time or they had other, you know, they were creatives outside of what they were doing, you know, and, and they, they worked, they worked in the kitchens to kind of, um, to make money, to make money while they were doing that, you know, or, you know, some of the people, you know, they were in a last chance position, you know, they had, they had gotten out of jail and no one would hire them. And, you know, my, my dad always was, was amazing at, at you know, giving people, a, giving people a chance, you know, he always said, you know, everybody, everybody could use, could use a break, you know, and, and I got to, I got to be around people that you normally wouldn't at 11, 10 years, you know, 10, 11 years old, 12 years old, that people normally aren't around. And it kind of gave me an education on life, you know, and, and I learned, you know, I learned early on that to make money, you have to work for it, you know, that nobody's, nobody's ever going to hand it. I never, you know, like I said, never had an allowance. Nobody that nobody ever handed me money, you know, just because I was there, you know, it, there was always, there was always hard work involved in, in, in making money at the end. And that, you know, that's, that's great. It's a life lesson that I have to this day. You know I mean? That's why I, you know, my work ethic is, is really strong because I know, you know, that's how, that's how I feed my family. That's how I, you know, ensure our family's future. You know, that that's always translated. I don't think there's enough of that in society today, but it's something you learn, you know, going to work that, that, that early on is, is that that's how a dollar is made. It it's a, as a result of the work you do. Isn't it funny how restaurants kind of pull in both directions in the way that you're talking where at certain moments, and I know this is something that's big for you. It's like, it's, it's just a drink, man. It's just food. Yeah. I'm just right. a bartender. I'm just a cook. Like, right. Chill out with your, uh, with your delusions of grandeur at the same time, what a complex like social environment uh, that you're dealing with. We're talking about the level of creativity, last chance, people like finding themselves as part of the Island of misfit toys, like a lot, a lot going on in that little, little ecosystem of being simple and humble yet also profound and, Clearly, that has been something that's been pulling and tugging at you since well, maybe even before 12 years old as a dishwasher, huh? Yeah. I mean, you know, I learned it's, it's crazy. Like things that a 12-year-old wouldn't see. We had, a, we had a Vietnamese immigrant that worked with us. His, his name was Hip Van Ho. Um, he didn't speak hardly any English, but he and I communicated a lot. You know, he was a prep guy that worked in the kitchen. And, and you know, I mean, we, we, learned, we learned how to communicate. and and you know, I thought he was, I loved him. You know, I mean, he was, he was older. He's probably, he's probably like close to 60 or so. Um, 
you know, and, and I had this idea that, you know, he went home to a, he went home to a family just like mine every, every night, you know, just, and, and boy, was I wrong. And it was a lesson I learned early on. I mean, he was, you know, he was living in a place with another, like another Vietnamese immigrant that, that basically was like enslaving, you know, other Vietnamese immigrants, which was, you know, 10 of them, 10 or 12 of them lived in an apartment and he was making them go to work every day and pay part of their, you know, like he had part of their paychecks had to go to him. And, you know, he was stuck in this situation. My dad helped him out of it, you know, but it was like, and, and I found it, I, I didn't even know, like that was, it was a real life lesson for me at 12 years old to see that people even lived like that, you know, or that was even a thing. It was, it was, it was shocking to me, but you know, my dad helped me get out of that situation and get away from it. And, and, you know, like watching, watching the care that my father put into the people that worked for him was, you know, was a big life, a life lesson for me and, and watching him treat everybody like family and, and those people being over our house for Christmas and, and, uh, and Thanksgiving and holidays and things like that. That was that, that molded the way I, I wanted to be with, with my, with our staff and our families the rest of my career. I knew this was going to be a, a deep intro. This is one of my favorite intros ever. One of the longest <laughs> intros ever, because I just knew we were going to, we were going to lay some serious groundwork that I think is going to bring a lot of value to people listening because it's, it's so crystallized selfishly. I love that you have crystallized so much of my thesis of like why and who before what and how the things that have impacted you the most we're not the dish that you cooked at this first restaurant. The first time you made this cocktail or that cocktail, it's Hip Van Ho. Well, I'm sure I said his name wrong right there, right. but that was that was that was his name as I knew it. All right, uh, it's it's the people. It's yeah. the people, and it's timeless, right? What we do and how we do it, it evolves. It's evolutionary. It's a trend. It might be a trend for your entire life, but it is a trend, right? And so, why and who, if we stay tethered to that, is so important. So. Again, selfishly, I love it because you are preaching. I dig this. This was this was heavy. I love it. So now we like to go into something a little more playful, more fun and loose, and then talk about some of your people. So we always like to play a little best served on ice breaker game. It's just a way really for me to like geek out on my guest, have some some information come to light, uh, inspire people around some ingredients or regions or techniques, all these kind of things. And I'm like, what do I have bartender of the year won every single award in, in the cocktail world, Sean Kenny do for a game. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to try and control some game. I'm like, I'm just going to let you tell us about some cocktails. And so I wanted to go with sports reference. You already threw one in there. I want your starting lineup, your all-star starting five lineup. We'll go. Are you a Knicks fan? Yes. Oh, okay. God. God, that hurts. But yes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hear you there. So starting five, I know the f number five is important in bar smarts, which you're highly embedded in as well, where it's like, keep it simple, stupid. Five ingredients or less to make, you know, flawless cocktails is, is, is an ideal that's fundamental, I think. So give us five cocktails that have to be a part of the repertoire, let's say, as a bartender up and coming or even for the home bartender, or just we need to be drinking these five cocktails that are just kind of the fundamental cocktails and give us some why behind five right. cocktails. Um, whew, that, you know, 
it's there's there's so many to choose from and, and it's like picking your your favorite child i know i understand yeah <laughs> and you know the 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 best one is the one that's in front of you right now you know um i think you know first i'm going to i'm going to say a daiquiri right um and i'm not talking the you know the frozen strawberry machine daiquiris or things that you know, every you know you have at, at your all inclusive resort in mexico or wherever it is you're going i'm talking about a simple three ingredient daiquiri rum lime sugar that's it this is you know as old as cocktails get as old as as mixed drinks get this one you know that combination has been around forever um you know learning one of the reasons it has to be the top five is is because because it's uh it's a it's a it's a basic sour um it is you know one of the most important drinks of of um of the you know the 20th century as far as as far as you know if you talk about drinking internationally um it's a it's a trick for balance for for bartenders because you know depending on on what what lime juice you're dealing with what you know what rum you're dealing with there's so many different flavors of rum how to balance that correctly you know three ingredients never so complicated as far as finding balance depending on on the rum you're using or the sugar they're using or the lime you're using all those elements make sense. It's simple, but um, you know, with those elements, you can find amazing, amazing complexity. Um, second, staying in the um, staying in the sour family. Uh, I mean, you have to have a margarita, you know, in there. I I think you know when people think about about cocktails and they think about the fact that you know I own a cocktail bar, they they expect me to to walk into all these like super obscure um old classics but you know the foundation is where it's where it's all at you know if you know how to make a sour you know how to make you you know how to make a stirred cocktail um a martini like cocktail those things are those things are super important with the margarita you know finding balance within you know again with you know it's a it's another classic sour finding balance the the right triple sec or uh orange liqueur or whatever whatever it is that you're using in, in that vein, which tequila are you using? Are you using Blanco, Reposado, Añejo, all those elements, you know, in the right, in the, in the right ratios and, and the right choices with products that all, you know, that's all so many, you could give me 10, 10 bartenders to make 10 margaritas and they'll all taste different based on the choices they've made for those elements, those three elements, the, um, the curacao or the, the triple sack or the orange liqueur, the tequila and the lime juice. Shouldn't be more than that. I don't want to see anything else other than that and a margarita, you know, um, unless you're talking about a Tommy's margarita, but that's a different, you know, that's not the classic margarita. That's a, that's just uh, tequila, agave nectar and lime juice, but classic margarita, gotta be curacao, triple sack, um curacao triple sec which could be grand marnier could be cointreau could be any of those any of those orange liqueurs i prefer a blanco tequila in my margaritas um you know i think that brings the most to the table when you're talking about uh, a sour um moving on to stirred cocktails i i kind of include these in in one in one basket but martini manhattan um i think i think you know to it's another one that, that, you know, you're talking, you know, three ingredients, uh, 
with a man, you know, with a martini, you're talking gin, dry vermouth, and uh, possibly orange bitters. Uh, and when you're when you're talking about Manhattan, it's just rye, sweet vermouth, and Angostura bitters. That's it. But again, within all those choices, there's so many choices, or within all those ingredients, are so many choices. And like ten bartenders will make ten different martinis or ten different Manhattans. But for me, you know, with a Manhattan, you know, rye whiskey is you know it's going to bring the spice to the table it's if you you're choosing if you're choosing vermouths a sweet vermouth that is not uh carpino antica formula um i i think that that overtakes most manhattans it has to be because it's it's such a strongly flavored vermouth it has to be something um more traditional like chinzano or um martini rossi style um for a martini i'm sort of bored by vodka martinis i don't you know there's there's not a lot going on there for me um you know but and so gin martini for me is is what i want you know great london dry style gin um i'm a two parts one part guy when it comes to martinis so two ounces two ounces of gin to one part dry vermouth i prefer dolan dry and one dash of some regan's orange bitters those three moving moving on from there uh, there is a Collins style cocktail, the highball. That is super important and, and something that, you know, when you're looking about foundations, all these drinks that I'm talking about right now, these five, like building on those has created every cocktail menu in the world, you know, and something of the sort. So uh, classic Tom Collins, gin, lemon juice, simple syrup soda. I mean, change, you know, play Mr. Potato Head with those things, change the base spirit change the, you know, switch it with a different base spirit, switch the citrus out, switch the, the source of sugar out, you know, change a, change a soda into a, into a Prosecco or a sparkling of some sort, and you have a different drink, but one that is all your own, you know, and then beyond that, I have a favorite, I have a favorite that's, that I kind of, I like for people to know another third favorite is the, uh, it's a Manhattan variant called a Vucure. Um, Cognac, rye whiskey, sweet vermouth, uh, a little bit of Benedictine, which is a French herbal liqueur, um, and a couple of dashes each of Angostura bitters and Peychaud's bitters. Uh, it's just one of the one of the, the Manhattan variants coming out of like the, the uh, post-prohibition era that really, to me, just showed. It's a great way to show this kind of this this kind of Mr. Potato Head theory that I was talking about before. You know, I mean, taking a drink that had been established for 30 years or so, adding adding some other ingredients, moving it around, and coming up with a completely different complex cocktail. Um, complex, simple to make, but complex flavors that that are, you know, kind of can overwhelm your palate at first, but once by the third sip, it's completely sublime. Beautiful game. A little bit of levity, fun, playful. Let's get back into some deep stuff man i want to talk about your people you've already done a great job of, of giving us some of those those core beliefs that you have that have been instilled in you let's go deep on a couple individuals so start us at the beginning like the first person that really like really sparked it in you that you see that d direct connection to who you are today yeah i i mean it's a that one's kind of a softball for me because you know it's it's my dad for sure. Um, you know, growing up, 
growing up, we, you know, we went to school. Uh, my mother worked till five o'clock. We'd get out of school at two forty-five. Um, she worked during the day as a as a as a administrative assistant or a secretary, and she worked at, as at night as a bartender. And we'd have to go. We'd 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 go to the bar after school because the bar babysat us. Um, you know, until my mom got off of work and, and until we went home and, you know, where a babysitter would take over an actual babysitter. Cause we would, she didn't want us at the bar after, after 6 PM, you know, cause it got busy. Uh, but watching, watching my father both behind the bar and on the other side and, and watching how people revered him, um, because of his work ethic, because of his, his relationship style, because of the way he took care of his guests, because of the way he cared, really formed my ideas about hospitality in the first place. I think it's important to say that my father didn't want me to be in this business. Um, it wasn't, you know, being a bartender was not an easy life for him. He never had, he never had benefits. He never had, um, you know, and he never had, he never had any of it, health, dental, none of those things. Did he, did he have, because he didn't have a conventional job and, you know, that stuff didn't come into our business and, you know, people really putting it in there into like outside of hotels and things until, you know, maybe the late nineties, early two thousands. And still it was rare until like the past 10 years. I remember people being fascinated about the fact that when we opened Williams and Graham, we opened with, you know, this is eight years ago that we opened with people having benefits, you know, and, and. So my dad didn't want me to do that because he didn't think that, you know, he didn't want my life to be, to be difficult. He likes to joke about it now, you know, saying that, you know, people are flying me all over the world to 10 bar. Nobody ever paid him to walk across the street, you know, which is, which is, you know, it's a funny thing for him to say, but it's, it's, it, it was viewed so much differently back then. Nobody viewed it as a career. So he tried to discourage my, my want to work in this business, you know, but so he never, so the, that point being is he never sat me down and said, this is what you do. You know, this is how you, this is how you're going to be successful in this business. Cause he never wanted me to do it. I had to learn everything I learned by watching, you know, by watching him and, and watching the way the bar ran and watching the way people communicated with each other and, and seeing what they bitched about. Cause they're, they bitched about everything in front of me as well. They didn't care that I was, you know, that I was my father's son, you know, seeing what, what, help people seeing what hurt people watching all those things kind of formed my idea about hospitality. What's your yeah. dad's name? Uh, Bob Kenyon. Um, he was always called BK when I was growing up um, or Bobby. And uh, he, I was, uh, I was just, it was funny because I was just laughing about this at uh, Christmas dinner last night um, is that I was called little Bobby for most of my life in that, you know, in that bar realm. Like, and I haven't heard that, it, until I said it last night, I hadn't heard it in, in a bunch of years. You know, I mean, I was, I was my father's son and I'm, I quote him all the time. And he's, you know, he was more of a, like a sage, like a, you know, like a wise old sage than he ever thought he was. And, and I find myself quoting him and, and kind of enacting the things that he enacted all the time. He was a huge influence on me. And, and to be, to be honest, it was, you know, he worked a ridiculous amount of hours to, you know, 70, 80 hours a week. And, and as a traditional father, like as, you know, the guy who was at all your baseball games or, 
you know, the guy that was, you know, taking me to the amusement park all the time or those kind of things. He wasn't that, you know, he was great as a father in a lot of ways, but um, not in the way of being able to spend time with his kids, you know, because he was making, you know, he had to work hard to make money. He had a, you know, it wasn't, you know, owning part of the restaurant wasn't making him a wealthy man. And, and, you know, I mean, he, he had to put those hours in to make it all happen, you know, and the time we spent with him was mostly at the bar, you know, and, and it's, it's different, but you know, my father, I mean, he's a, he's a great man. And, and I, I truly believe that he's, he's been, you know, he's, he's been through a lot in his life. You know, he's worked his ass off his, his work ethic. He only, he only just retired uh, two years ago, um, you know, at age 71 uh, and have been behind a bar for, you know, since 19, 1970, you know, so quite some, quite some time, you know, and, and, uh, you know, he, the, his philosophies, his philosophies about, about hospitality, um, always kind of came in, in, you know, in, in like quote form and, you know, taking care of people and, you know, not, and talking to, you know, talking about it being selfless, like it never was like, this is the lesson you've learned today about being selfless and, and it being all about the guest. He just showed it to me by being that all the time, you know? Yeah, give us and, some of those. I love yeah. isms. I'm yeah. all about isms. I'm all about those like stories that just d articulate something about somebody in, yeah. in a goofy way and in an inspirational way, whatever <laughs> it is. So throw some of those at us because I know uh, Bob, Clearly yeah. this was passed on to you, but I know Bob's got some gems for sure. <laughs> you know, give us a couple or a couple stories, whatever it is yeah. that can give us a little bit of that. You know, I think, I, I think it's funny for, for him. Um, he was, he didn't really, he was very extremely selfless without, you know, without saying it, you know, I mean, he cared about other people first and he didn't always, he, you know, almost to a fault. He didn't, um, he didn't, uh, he didn't take care of himself, you know, to, I mean, as far as, you know, is finding, you know, finding time for himself or doing anything like that. But he would always, you know, he would say, one of the things that, that stuck with me that I, that I quote all the time is, you know, he would always say, never throw your own birthday party, you know? And, and it's funny thinking about that now, like what that meant back then is, you know, like, you know, if, if people are going to celebrate you, they're going to celebrate you, but, you know, don't celebrate yourself too much you know, and, and be about, you know, make it about the person in front of you, you know, when you're, when you're behind the bar and, and, you know, that, the, that translates to, you know, 30, 40 years later when, you know, we have these celebrity mixologists all around the, all around the globe and, and people celebrating themselves on social media and patting themselves on the back. And I think, I think that's a, they're all throwing their own birthday parties, you know, they're celebrating themselves and if they're not careful, you know, I mean, they're, if they're not, if they're not careful and they're not, you know, putting the focus on the people in front of them, that will all go away at some point, you know, and I, it's that simple line kind of translated to my entire career, you know, almost to the point where <clears throat> I, you know, I, I, I'll tell a funny story about my dad is, is, you know, I was at a hospitality seminar um, in at Portland cocktail week about five years ago. And it was a, uh, a guy named Murray Stenson was speaking, who was an older man, um, you know, famous bartender out of Seattle, and Joaquin Simo, who's uh, from Pouring Ribbons in New York, and a guy named Eric Adkins out of uh, out of San Francisco. Three very 
three very accomplished and polished bartenders and they did this amazing seminar on and about hospitality. And Murray spoke at the end and Murray was probably the least well-spoken of all the people that were, that were there. Um, he, you know, he, he had a lot to say and a lot of important things, but he wasn't an accomplished public speaker. A lot of those people, you know, put him behind a bar and they have stuff to say all day long, put him in front of a microphone and, and those things change, you know, because it's more about personal interactions. Either way, Murray spoke a lot of what Murray had to say reminded me of my dad. So I called my dad right afterwards. And I, I said, uh, I said, dad, you know, I just want to call you. You know, I just saw the seminar. This guy Murray reminded me of you. Me of you. I just want to see how you were doing. And he was like, oh, he was like, what? So you were at a seminar? I was like, yeah. He's like, tell me about the seminar. So I explained it. It was a hospitality seminar. It was about 400 people there and, and everything. He's like, these are all bartenders. I said, yeah. He's like, so let me get this straight. He's like, you had to get 400 bartenders in a room so people can teach them how to be nice to people. <laughs> I was like, I, I couldn't, you know, I, I like took me, took me a, a back really fast, but I was like, yeah, I mean, that's the way our craft kind of grew, right? Like it, if, you know, it used to be in, in my dad's day that if you weren't a nice person or you weren't great in talking to people to at talking to people, you'd never became a bartender. If you were, you know, if, if you were a horrible person or you're not a, not a person that really enjoyed, enjoyed being around people, nobody would ever make you a bartender. You know, I mean, unfortunately, <laughs> if you want to work in a restaurant, they probably put you in the kitchen at that point. But you know, that's an, that's an old, that's an old school way of thinking. Um, but the, you know, he was fascinated that, that you had to teach new school bartenders about hospitality or that was anything that you even had to teach people because he always felt that, that it should come naturally. Hospitality should come naturally to somebody who wants to be a bartender. But when our craft resurged in, in the early two thousands, you know, you had a lot of people who were like simply scientists or bookworms getting behind the bar and made it all about what was happening in the glass and not about what was happening on the other side of the bar. And that was one of my father's biggest tenets, you know, is taking care of the people in front of you before you take care of anything else. Right. And, and the fact like old school, his old school kind of pragmatism versus like this new school of like taking all these bookworms and scientists and people who got into it because of the possible fame of it you know, and having to teach them the, the basic tenets of hospitality, I can see why he thought it was ridiculous. Even though I thought it was valuable uh, to him, you know, he thought that was kind of ridiculous. And going back to, you know, to follow up with another, another quick story that, that included a, a, a phone call with my dad. Um, when I was named Tales of the Cocktail Bartender of the Year uh, in 2014, um, I I called my dad right afterwards and because, you know, I was, I was, I was proud, you know, I was proud and it made me think of him and, you know, kind of following in his, in his footsteps, even though that stuff didn't really exist for him. And I, I said, dad, you know, I said, uh, I, you know, I just, I just won this award. And he, he, he had me explain the award to him. And I told him it was a jury of, you know, a jury of bartenders from all over the world. And, and there was nominations told about the process and, and everything. And, and he's like, so you won this award? I said, yeah. He's like, well, congratulations. You're famous with about 300 people. And, you know, that seems kind of mean, right? But it, but when you go back to that, you know, that's reality. You know, you, you think 
you know, you win this huge award within your own community, but you think the rest of the world cares about it. If you think too much that they do, then you're doing a, a disservice to yourself as a bartender, right? I think, I think to realize that the most important person, it's not the people who voted for you on that jury. It's not the people who, who clapped for you when you were up for that award or when you went up to, to make an acceptance speech, but it's the people that sit in front of you every day that define that. Um, you know, he used to say, or he, he said, he said to me at that point, he said, you know, that no, no award's going to jump off the shelf and take care of your guests every day. Right. And, and for that reason, our award when Williams and Graham won uh, cocktail, American cocktail bar of the year in 2015, our award isn't even sitting on the shelves at Williams and Graham, you know, we brought it in, we gave it to the staff for a little while and, and it's sitting in my business partner's house because we don't, the people who come in there every day don't care about the award. They care about, they care about the, the service they're going to get, the hospitality they're going to receive. Those things, those are some of the ways like that, like my dad's simple, don't celebrate yourself, you know, don't throw your own birthday party uh, idea has, has kind of crossed over functionally into the, into the way that, that I've thought and run my life, you know, run my, my career, my life in our bars. Sean, your dad's my fucking hero, dude. <laughs> like everything, you know, we, we pontificate a little bit and I talked thesis and like, Oh, it's so intellectual, but your dad just innately understood <laughs> that it doesn't fucking matter what you do. Right. If it's about the who, if it's about the why, why you get out of bed in the morning, who you're doing yeah. this for like that. That's forever right. and it's unwavering and you can just be that. And that is the purest form of hospitality. What you're serving and things like that, it brings them in. It keeps them there. All those things, there, there is value in it. It's not like that's not important. However, cart behind the horse. Like, and yeah. I, think that's, I think that's great. And I, I, <laughs> it's funny to have your dad say that. It's kind of like he's poo-pooing on your war but really you were calling him because you knew he was going to say that it's yeah. keeping you grounded it's oh, keeping 100%. you tethered right and he's I, he's done great. my dad's done a great job of that over the over the years you know he wasn't being you know like i said it, it sounds mean but he wasn't being mean at all that's just a sense of humor but it's also like saying like look man it, that's that's awesome you won that award is like but you know there's still the people in front of you are are you know the most important and my dad has told me over and over again how proud he is of me you know like but i'm from jersey man that smart ass kind of love is you know that's what keeps me going you know we love each other with a little bit of sass you know we give each other a lot of shit and and you know my father was always always great with following up some wise ass remark with all the love in the world you know and and he was and and i think you know i talk about my dad in that way but my mom is also she's an unsung hero in this whole thing, you know, cause when we talk about third generation of bartenders, my dad was a bartender his whole life, you know, um, or most of his life. And my mom was only a bartender for, you know, a, a period in my, in my early teens and, you know, into, into my early twenties, um, you know, and she kind of ran this biker bar and, and, you know, for her friend or she was a bartender. She, she didn't run it. She was a bartender at a biker bar that was connected to a liquor store in Hawthorne, New Jersey. And um, she worked for her friend, Libby. And, and they, and I said, no, Libby was, I forget what her name was exactly. I'll have to ask my mom. Um, but 
you know, she ran that bar and she did it. She never saw, she saw bartending as a, you know, as a means to, to make money. You know I mean? She had to hold down two jobs. She had two kids and, you know, it was a single mom. My parents were, my parents were separated, you know, were separated and finally divorced when I was, when I was fairly young. So I've, you know, I haven't seen my parents in the same room too many times, but you know, her father was a bartender. I'm a third generation bartender through my mom, you know, and that's what a lot of people don't know when I talk about third generation bartender, because my grandfather, my maternal grandfather was a bartender and bar owner in Patterson, New Jersey. My mom was only a bartender for a while in the eighties. And my dad was a lifelong bartender, you know? So watching my mom do what she did and, you know, watching her kind of control a room without, without, you know, taking any crap from a pretty rough bar crowd. And, you know, that she's a, a hero of mine as well. And, and I don't think I've expressed that enough when talking about like my bartending lineage, because my mom had, a you know, my, my dad did all the hard work he did, but we didn't live with him. You know, he didn't have to, he didn't have to make sure we ate every day and make sure we got to school every day. And my mom had to do all that work during the day, go bartend at night you know, and find some time to have a life, you know, find some time to, you know, to, to meet people and, you know, and have, you know, and have a love life and have, you know, like all those kind of things besides having two kids that were a handful, we weren't easy, you know, <laughs> my brother and I weren't easy at all. So she, you know, the, the ease of, about the way she went about things and the way she made it easier on my brother and I were, you know, was is is amazing to me it gets it you know it gets me emotional thinking about thinking about my mom because even though she didn't define herself as a bartender you know it wasn't her career she used it as you know as a means to pay the bills and and effectively so you know and she's you know like i said she's she's a real she's a real hero to me she didn't have there's not a lot of because she didn't live it and exist it i don't have like a lot of nuggets of wisdom from her as far as bartending goes, but, you know, I mean, she taught me how to take, you know, how to take care of family and, and how to, you know, and to put family first, you know, and, and she's been through a lot in her life and she's, you know, she's beaten cancer a few times and, you know, she's, she's the, besides my wife, the toughest person I know, the two of them can vie for the toughest woman in the world because they're close, you know, and, and it's her to, you know, like I said, I don't even ever think of my mom as a bartender. So she gets, she gets left, she gets left behind when we, when we talk about the lineage of bartending, but you know, she showed me what it was like to be, you know, I was, that's funny. I was raised because my dad worked 70 hours a week. And what I, what I said before, um, you know, we, if we saw him, we saw him at the bar. Um, I was, I was taught how to be a man by women. You know, I was taught how to, how to be a grown man and how to, how to be respectful and how to take care of people and how to, you know, how to be a, a man by the women, you know, the, the powerful women and the strong women that I was raised around, you know, and that, you know, that wasn't, I was taught how to be a great bartender by my, by my dad. And, and, you know, I'm still working at being a great bartender, but the, I was taught how to be, you know, how to be a man, mostly by my mom, you know, and, and that's, it's, that's something that, you know, 
it's, it's, it's valuable, valuable to me to know and something that wasn't a realization of mine until I was in my forties. You know, I always kind of saw it as a group effort, but I know, you know, my mom went through a lot. So, yeah. Yeah. You gave us a lot of nuggets throughout <laughs> this thing, but that is the smartest thing you've said, period, is <laughs> that learning how to be a man from, from strong, capable, powerful women. And if somebody yeah. is vying for strongest woman in the world, it actually means they're str- vying for strongest person in the world. True. Full stop, True. period, right? Right, yeah. So I think, that's, I think that's super powerful. Tell, me, tell us your mother's name and your grandfather's yeah. name. Yeah, uh, Joyce Berman is my mom, um, and Benny Berman is my grandfather. And, and, and what about your brother? Let's get the whole family. So I got my, my, my younger brother, Kevin, who's only a year younger than me. And, and he's, he works at, uh, he works at a hotel. He works for, at the, for the Ritz Carlton for years in Manhattan. He still lives up, he still lives up North. Uh, now they, the hotel changed hands and, um, it's a, it's a different hotel company now, but he learned a lot about hospitality working for, for our dad as well. And then, you know, from the Ritz Carlton system. So He's worked for hotels for years. And then um, my younger brother, Jimmy, um, moved out here a couple of years ago and uh, started, a, you know, started at Williams and Graham as a porter, uh, which is a daytime prep person. Um, and now he graduated, he graduated to bartender earlier this year. Um, so, you know, he's the, even though we're technically in the same generation because we're, so he's 23 years younger than me. He's 27. Um, I have a, you know, he, he, and my sister, Mary, his, uh, you know, are, are, uh, my brother and sister through, um, my father's second wife. Uh, but you know, so he's the next generation of Kenyan bartenders, you know, so, cause he's a lot younger than me and he inspires me too. Like the work ethic he has, you know, that I know came from our father. He has that, you know, instilled, even though my dad never let him work in the bars, um, you know, he wanted him to try other things, but he, he came down here, you know, with a sports, a sports uh, management degree. I got him a job with the Nuggets and, um, and he, he decided he wanted it. He wanted to be a bartender. He's like, I could go back into that at some point, but he's like, I want to be a bartender. And the, the work he put into it, having really never done it before, but been around my dad and seeing the way he treated people, he got all that part. But the technical parts of being a bartender at the level we're doing it now in this, you know, in, in the, the way it is in this day and age, he had to learn all that. So basically, you know, how people would read books, you know, like science fiction books or, you know, he would sit around all day and read cocktail books and cocktail method and those kind of things and, and worked his way all the way through our system. Didn't lean on the fact that he was my brother at all. In fact, I think that was more of a detriment to him than, than it was, you know, because anything that he succeeded, people would look at him if, you know. If he wasn't the hardest working kid in the room, they would look at him differently, but he is, and they know that. Um, so his energy and his work ethic expire, inspires the hell out of me. Um, ah, that's so good, Sean. Know? So yeah. good, because here's the thing. We're of, of the age, our you know, Island of Misfit Toys generation of the restaurant industry. <laughs> yeah. We are now of the age where we're wagging our fingers saying kids these days. Yeah. You know, they don't X, Y, Z like we did. And I was like, yeah, they don't like getting plates thrown at their head. Yeah. Who's right. crazy, us or them? You know, it's, it's a yeah. lot of that. And I always think, look, we've survived this long. And every generation has said that about the generation prior. They're going to yeah. remake it in a way that we never could have imagined. And we may hold and romanticize our past successes on a pedestal and demonize 
the future because it's not ours. I, I love hearing that. I love hearing that a 27 year old is inspiring you with the work ethic, the things that are easy to say, right. they don't, they don't have it. They do. They really yeah. do. And if we give purpose and the why they're going to own it, just like, just like we did and take it to places that we couldn't imagine. So I love, right. love hearing that. I also really love, I got to tell you that we have spent the entire episode talking about your family and i think that's amazing and i and i and i razz a little bit but not really because i think it's so important for us to think about our restaurants as families and i uh -huh. really do and the opportunity to talk about your actual family and how i can see all the dynamics that are at play in the way that you are and how you have built your restaurants and your restaurant family are very much articulated in all the stories we've just heard so i absolutely love that now we always want to talk about unsung hospitality heroes. We give everyone an opportunity to give a shout out. But right before that, because we didn't get to talk so much about some of the contemporary places that you've been a part of or early on in, uh, you know, Williams and Graham, things like that. I want to give you just a couple minutes. Just throw names out there of the humans that have worked with you, for you, through all of this over the last eight years of having these multiple places in Denver, some of the names of people that have run bars, that have been a porter, that have been chefs at your restaurant, let's just take a minute to just to just recognize some of those people. Give us a dozen, 20, right. whoever, however oh, many God. you can remember, and you're going to kick yourself because you're going to forget people. Yeah. Oh, and when you share this episode on social media, make sure you tag them. <laughs> I'm, I'm holding yeah. your feet to the fire, but throw some names out there that can hear their names in your story because I think it's important. Yeah. So um, I'm going to start with a, you know, when I, I, I mean, I'll go chronologically kind of when I, when I moved here, um, when I got, I got moved up here by a company that I work for called the, uh, uh, cocktail concepts and they own a place called B 52 billiards downtown. And literally one of the best club club bartenders or, or busy bartenders, um, you know, or volume bartenders, I should say that I ever worked with a guy named Ben Venzel who passed away, um, a couple of years ago. Um, he watching that guy work every day and, and retain a sense of humor and, you know, keep his, keep his peers, uh, entertained while he was, you know, while he was doing his job and keeping his guests entertained. One of the best people I've ever worked with. Um, and one of the most, you know, most entertaining and endearing, um, going back to that as well there's a guy named Jamie cook, um, who worked in, he worked in, in the kitchens at, at B 52 was, was there with me at Steuben's was at, um, Williams and Graham, you know, for, for a little while before he moved uh, back home to Buffalo. Uh, one of the, one of the most endearing, engaging guys I've, I've ever worked with. Um, Max McKissick, who, who you know as well, like came in and, and turned the culinary program around at, at, at Williams and Graham and left, left us with a guy named uh, Matt Thompson, um, uh, Wheaty, as he's known. And one of, uh, again, one of, the, one of the best people, one of the best people I ever worked with. Uh, on the other side of the bar, Courtney Wilson, who opened um, Williams and Graham for us and, and basically put all the organization in place. She was, she was fucking amazing. Um, I go back to Steuben's. Uh, I learned a ton from Josh Wolcon, who owns that group. Um, you know, taught me taught me a lot about a, a lot about staff dynamic and a lot of the things that I talk about now that I didn't learn from my father came from him. Um, you know, I mentioned Courtney Wilson, who opened the bar there for us, got everything done for us. 
my business partner, Todd Kohlhauer at, at Williams and Graham, God, that guy, if it wasn't for him, we'd be broke. You know I mean? You know, if I said it, I always say, if it was always me, if it, if it, if it was just me, we'd have incredibly happy staff and, and, and we'd be, we'd be broke as hell. And if it was just him, our staff wouldn't be as happy and we'd be making a shit ton of money together. We have the right dynamic, right? It makes sense. He's the, he's the unsung hero of that place. A hundred percent. Jason Patz, who was our second bar manager, one of the most creative and hardest working people I've ever, I've ever known. Um, one of my, one of my very good friends to this day is he's a partner at, at Union Lodge now. Um, Nick Touch, who was there for years that one of the, uh, as far as a guy who could like make everybody on the other side of the bar feel like they just walked into the best party in the world. He's that guy. And he was, he was always that guy. Um, Allison Whittacombe, one of my favorite, you know, kind of artists as far as what she did behind the bar, her, her creativity was unmatched. Um, you know, she had greater aspirations and has greater aspirations than just being a bartender. She's, you know, she's one of the most brilliant people I know, and it's just a part of her life. But man, did she do it well for the part, you know, for this part of her life, you know, and she just, uh, she just graduated school and she's going to go on and do some pretty amazing things in the world. Um, you know, Sadie Hopkins, I think, is somebody who learned from all the people I just mentioned, um, you know, that came into us at Williams and Graham as a, as a host. Uh, she worked, you know, she was, she bust tables. She, she prepped, she worked on the line. She's done everything. She was a bar back, you know, she, she was a bartender. Now she runs the whole show. She runs, she runs the bars at Williams and Graham and Occidental. One of, you know, one of the most powerful people I've ever worked with as far as, you know, her level of her, her level of work ethic and creativity together. It's rare that you get those two things at the same time because most of the time creatives aren't very organized. Um, people are extremely creative and I think that that translates, you know, in, in a lot of ways, but Sadie Hopkins, is like one of the, one of the coolest people I know. And, and she, you know, she runs the, she runs the show. There's also, um, you know, the current people, the current staff we have now has to step into all the shoes of all the well-known bartenders that worked there before. And it's one of the hardest jobs in the world, but you know, Jimmy, my brother works there. Uh, Kenny Remsker, Kenny Remster, James Mankel, um, those guys behind the bar, Lauren Lowe, along with, along with Sadie, I think on the other side at Occidental is Kelly Highland, uh, Jen Holden, Haley Watson, like that crew over there is, is really incredible as well. Like it's, you know, I've, I've, I've been blessed in a lot of ways, but the, the, the people who do it now, it's more about them than it ever has been about me. And and they're doing it so well. It's, it's cool to sit back and watch them do it. Like, I don't, you know, I, I, I'm there and I'm present, you know, and, but it's, but they're the ones making it, making it happen every single day. And, and the hardest part, the hardest work in the building is done by the people, the, the managers, cause they're, you know, they're, they're the ones that have to keep all those creatives <laughs> together in one spot. And, you know, Audrey, Audrey Yapel and uh, Danny Jacks are pretty fucking incredible. Um, and a guy who I had, Yesterday, over for over for Christmas, um, Hank Murphy, who runs American Bonded for me, like one of the funniest people I know, and one of the most down to earth people I know, and and a great like that guy will make anybody in front of him laugh hilariously, not just just kind of giggle or laugh, but he will entertain and he will have people rolling on the ground before they're before they're done. Like 
that's a real fucking bartender. You know, I think that's the first time I've cursed on your, on your podcast. I apologize. You're good. It's, it's fucking great. <laughs> nice. No, no, no. You've dropped, you've dropped a couple, man. They let them flow naturally. Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing. I can just, I can hear like the proud Papa in you. And I think it's really great. And I can hear that echoed little, little, little Bobby has grown a grown ass <laughs> man now, like instilling so much what? of what was instilled in you into your team. I think it's interesting. And of all the people that you've mentioned, you're talking about a lot of, you know, Pats and touch and these guys, these are, these are major, major players in and of their own right. And then asked to, to try and distill everybody that you've been touched by and impacted by down to a single person that is that unsung hospitality here for you. It was Sadie Hopkins. And I mean, why somebody like that, that just is it like, it's just, they just get it and they just gel so well. Why do you think Sadie is, is that person for you to give everyone a roadmap, a blueprint to finding their Sadie Hopkins? You know, I, I think, finding finding somebody like Sadie is I mean I feel like you got lightning in a bottle in a way but it's not when you think about she meeting her and knowing her you know her desire to be you know to be in this this business as a as a career um and and knowing you know she had a natural empathy she yearned she worked yearned to make people happy at every step of the way when she was a host which is the I, honestly being a host at Williams and Graham the the bookstore clerks is the hardest place to be, right? Because you're the only person in that entire building that has to tell people no, you know, because we're on a two hour wait, we're on an hour wait. We have to tell people they can't come in right now, but you have to make them feel good about the fact that they're going to wait an hour or two hours to get in. You know, it is really the hardest place. And she made, she made people feel completely at ease about it. Like I noticed that in her early on. I honestly, to be honest, I, didn't think that she was extroverted enough to be a bartender, right? She's, she's extremely, she's introspective and very thoughtful. And, and I, I worried about that translating to being behind a bar to being a great bartender. And she proved me wrong at every step of the way on that. And, and I, you know, I own the fact that I, that I wasn't right about it. And, but that she is, you know, she embodies all the things. She's a true believer in our, in, in our philosophy of hospitality first, you know, starting with your peers and elevating that to your guests, um, you know, build it and they will, you know, like kind of build it and they will come like create a great hospitality atmosphere before you even let the first guest in, you know, she believes in all of that and, and she's embraced it. And, and, you know, we've, we've reinforced it every way. We've, you know, we've, we've furthered her learning. We sent her to bar five day, you know, she furthers that education by teaching teaching those around her. Um, you know, we you know we we've taken her around the world, you know, and and um, literally around the world. You know, but Italy, Nicaragua. Um, let's see. She was we we're in, in in Iceland together. We we're in Ireland together. Like you know, we've she's she's come with us. Uh, you know, a lot of the way and and. But she's, you know, we, it's symbiotic a hundred percent, you know, I mean, we take care of her and she takes care of us and no, but we don't think about it. It's not a give and take. It's just a relationship, you know, and, and Sadie's, you know, Sadie, when, when I talk about powerful people, you know, like I, and I talk about learning that from my mom, you know, I mean, learning, learning kind of that power, 
it's it's kind of translated on without even thinking about it into you know into into the women that run our bars you know with audrey yapel and sadie sadie hopkins and and uh, kelly highland who runs occidental you know i mean i don't it's not even a second second thought about whether they're a woman or not or whether they're not you know a man or not that that gender doesn't even operate into that but you know they're sadie's sadie her her energy her you know her, her powerful energy reminds me a lot of my my own mother's powerful energy and i think that's kind of what endeared me to her at the beginning um but the people that work for her not only listen to her they you know they love her you know they don't just respect you know they don't just respect her because they because of her authority they respect who she is as a person and and that's valuable man she she gets it she understands what she has to do to to earn respect and it doesn't just come with the title you know she's a she's she's amazing to me and and i'm lucky i'm lucky that you know that not only has she did she come to us at williams Graham, but she stayed with us over the years and grown with us yeah you're you're catching lightning in a bottle you said that and i think that's yeah. a, a powerful phrasing of it because man, you find if you find those people wow is it powerful unbelievable sean amazing amazing getting to hear about your people i think it's so so important and clearly something that is so important to you because man you're good at talking about your people and sometimes yeah. we're not in this industry we're good at talking about the things that we do and the things yeah. that we do just they just don't matter as much as the people uh, who are there I think for that, it one thing I, I can't get away without mentioning as it you know as we're probably trying to wrap up soon but you know, none of like, none of this, none of anything I do would be worth it or would be worth it or meaningful if it wasn't for my family, you know, if it wasn't for, for my wife, Bijou, um, you know, like, and, and that to me, like, uh, none of it would mean a thing to me, you know, I mean, yes, taking care of people and, and, you know, make, making sure that, you know, trying to help it better people's lives through, through what we do you know, whether it be our guests or the people that work with us and try to give them more opportunities. But if I can't come home and, and feel loved and be loved like I, like I am, it's none of it, none of it means, none of it means a thing. Sean Kenyon, truly a hospitality focused owner and operator and just a bartender, I think is clearly <laughs> the way that you were living and your people matter to you. Thank you so much for talking to us. Brought a lot of value to me personally and to everybody listening. It's hard to talk about myself for two hours, but you know, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Jensen. I appreciate it. I appreciate what you're getting out there. I appreciate, you know, putting the focus on, on the people in the business rather than the, the accolades and, and the write-ups and all those things. And I think, you know, that's, that's where it all starts, right? You take care of the people first, everything else happens. And, and I, I appreciate you for what you do. Cheers, my friend. I'm not surprised that Sean definitely set a record for the longest interview that we've ever had on this show. Such a philosopher, such a student of hospitality. I love that we just basically got to talk about his family for the entire episode because they're so ingrained generationally into the industry. And when we got contemporary, he had no doubt in his mind that there was somebody, one of his many unsung hospitality heroes that he wanted to give a shout out to, Sadie Hopkins. We have her on the line. Thank you for talking with us, Sadie. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me on. 
really excited to talk to you. He was gushing over you, and I am excited to dig into that a little bit, but we always like to start with a little bit of origin story. So Sadie, tell us where you were from originally. Uh, so I actually grew up in Colorado, the Denver metro area, uh, Centennial. Um, hey, you so are a native, which yeah. makes you like a, a unicorn in the hospitality industry. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Right? They, well, there's you, very few of us left. <laughs> you guys have like t-shirts and bumper stickers, the whole nine. There's so many of us like California kids or Sean from New York <laughs> that are like, or New Jersey, excuse me, that are, that are uh, taking over, it seems, huh? <laughs> yeah, I don't mind though. I think it's made Denver just more interesting in the food scene in general. I feel like if people didn't move here, we wouldn't be where we're at right now. So I'm excited about it. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, it makes it dynamic for sure. And so hospitality, I mean, it's clearly something that Sean said, and we'll talk about a little bit more that is so, so important to you and, and that you really embody it. Was it in your DNA? Was it always something as a kid that you were just so aware of doing things for other people? I'm like, I'm very fascinated how somebody has such a strength in hospitality. You see any of that from, from childhood or did you have to get your butt kicked in restaurants to figure it out? <laughs> um, actually, it did actually start in my childhood. So my mom used to be a bartender. I knew it. See, I knew yeah. somebody that has it so, so strong in them. Sometimes it just, it becomes, it comes from such a, a personal place and such a place of like the lifespan. So yeah, talk to us about mom, talk to us about hospitality, what that means to you from that. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so my mom, she was a bartender for um, up until I was about 10, I want to say. And so she used to come home from work and I would like pretend to be a server. She would give me like her apron and her little like book and I'd go around and like take orders from everybody <laughs> in my house. <laughs> um, uh amazing yeah. amazing like yeah. it's almost like you're you're already acting out your future for sure <laughs> yeah and like I didn't know it back then obviously but I had a ton of fun doing it and my mom has always just kind of like raised me to treat people the way that you'd want to be treated and just like overall respect and I really have to just thank my mom for how I am today. Honestly, she's just, she, she raised me well. <laughs> what's, what's your brother's name? Uh, my mom's name is Tammy. Tammy. She worked, good, yeah, good she job. worked at a bar called Legends. It's not open anymore, but it was in Cherry Creek. I think that's so interesting. Yeah. You, know? you yeah, didn't yeah. grow up playing with Barbies or GI Joes. You were playing with server books yeah. and, you know, processing credit cards i think that's super interesting taking orders from people yeah, i think definitely. super cool so tell us what was your first job in the industry then uh so my first job in the industry was at the toad tavern it's like a little dive bar kind of on like federal and bulls and that is still there and that is still there yeah um they've i know they've changed ownership um i haven't actually been back since i left not because of bad blood or anything just it's pretty out of the way now <laughs> Um, sure. Talk to us but, about that time. Like, wh yeah, why, so my, why did you go there? And then why does that kind of inform your path into kind of leading a, a group like, uh, like you are with Sean Kenyon? Totally. Um, my friend, Katie, um, her name's Katie Lumpkins. She actually got me into it. Um, she's been in the industry longer than I have. And I was at the time working at Forever 21 <laughs> as a manager. <laughs> And I hated it, obviously, like every minute of it, I hated it. 
and so she suggested to uh for me to like come work with her over at the toad and so i picked up the job there and at the time i was only like 19 but it was the most fun i've ever had doing anything um and so i was like you know maybe this is actually where i belong and i just so, am so fascinated with yeah. how we get into the industry i think it says a lot there's summer job i just need some money or our family's been in it so i like kind of always knew it was meant to be or i just happened into it or you know there's just very interesting and for you clearly it was meant to be and then once you got in and you're like yes this is it yeah <laughs> yeah exactly it was like oh I, f I found it i found what i'm supposed to be doing and isn't it funny you probably are like i already knew why was i why the hell was i at forever 21 because i knew since i was a kid that this is what i was truly meant to be and as soon as you tasted it you knew yeah yeah exactly it's like as soon as i finally got my like out of my like comfortable zone of being in like a stupid retail job i was like wow why did i do this to myself why did i do this for as long as i did love it so, all right yeah. so there was there was something that sean said specifically that was such a a, a light bulb moment for me and I talk about hospitality generally, and clearly it's in your DNA. There was something that he said, though, about you when you started with the company. You started at Williams and Graham, and you were a host. And to give people some context, Williams and Graham, I mean, award-winning, won every single award that there is, right? And it's very unique because it's got that playful speakeasy, but they really leaned into it, where at the front is a very tiny little bookstore with a small little host stand, and you go through the bookcase to get into the actual bar. So it very much is like playing into the, the, the true essence of kind of the speakeasy when it was you had to know the secret handshake or the password, right? So that to give people the context. And you were a host there. And you talked about the challenge of being a host there because you have to be the one person to say no to people. And I talk a lot about hospitality being a guest having everything they need and nothing they don't, which 90% of the time is accurate. However, it doesn't touch on the, how do you say no to people? Or maybe not even say no, you just don't say yes. And I'm very fascinated. I want to start with that. Let's dig into that a little bit because I think it's a challenge. And if you can graciously tell somebody they're going to be waiting for two hours and see the look on their face or the reactions that you get and gracefully navigate that, fuck that is like hospitality <laughs> to the nth degree so dig into that for us a little bit yeah definitely um i mean it's definitely it's not easy i can tell you that and the reason that <clears throat> i want to go back to like how i even got the job in the first place it's like one of my friends um donnell cowell he uh actually got me the job because i had known him before he started at williams and graham and then as soon as he got the job there i begged him for like I don't know, like probably close to a year to get me a job there <laughs> until he finally was like, yeah, whatever, come be a host. And so I couldn't, after begging him for a whole year to like work there, I couldn't like let him down. So I was definitely determined to be um, like, I'm like, I'm going to make this work. This is going to be, I'm going to be the best fucking host they've ever had. <laughs> and so um, it's just a matter of like, I don't know, when people come in, you just have to make them feel welcome, not like they're intruding on your space at all, so you have to make them like, oh yeah, like, welcome in, like, you're, thank you so much for coming to see us, like, I'm so sorry, but we are in a little bit of a wait, can I just 
grab your number and I'll give you a call. And then if people get mad, um, you just kind of have to be like, oh, I totally understand. Like, who wants to wait this long to come into a place? But if you are willing to wait, it's a really awesome spot. You'll have some great cocktails. And you kind of just have to almost like talk people off a ledge sometimes because they're just, um, I don't know, it's like they get really caught up on like they like to say that we're too exclusive but it's just a matter of like how small the space is and so after you let people know like no it's actually just like a 60 person limit and we can't let anybody in after that um and they really are kind of understanding after they see the place so sometimes before even um sending them away I'll be like here I'll like take a look inside um you can see how small it is I just want you to understand like we're not trying to keep you out we're just trying to keep everyone comfortable yeah, a couple things that you said for sure are important. One, just to have the empathy for those people to know like that they're really building that up. And I think that's super important. And the fact that you don't take a you're lucky to be here attitude, I think is really important because you see that a lot. And it just Absolutely. is not hospitality. Uh, and there is a little bit of that because this it's kind of this small little facade at the front. You don't know what's behind those doors. So you think, cool, are they just trying to control, you know, control us and mm -hmm. like make it really exclusive? No, it's, it gets, it gets packed in there and you guys try to make it comfortable. So it's not asses to elbows. And so that's very clear. Yeah. And the empathy, because these people now, especially, have built this up they may have traveled here and been like i'm going skiing and the only other thing i'm doing besides going skiing when i come to colorado is going to williams and graham because i've read all about it, i heard all about it so they may have planned this trip for a long long time and if yeah. you just you know act like they're lucky to be here they're like hey i'm like i put a lot of effort into making it here so that's that's very very important how do you teach that to somebody else clearly that is in in you how do you yeah. then as a leader in the company now train that? That's got to be such a challenge. Um, it can be quite a challenge because I think empathy is one of the most important skills to have when you're like in the hospitality industry. You can't really, I don't know, you can't really give good hospitality if you don't know like how people are feeling. So you always have to, because some people want to be talked to at the bar and some people don't, you just have to feel it out. And so that's kind of how, that's actually kind of how I teach it. It's like, um, you can, you really have to feel out the situation. You have to like talk to people enough to understand like kind of what they want and like who they are and then go from there. So if somebody, if you're talking to somebody and they're giving you like one word answers and they keep looking down, it's like, well, then don't talk to them. They just want to hang out and have a drink. But if you like talk to somebody and they're like giving you like talking a mile a minute, you're like, oh, cool. Well, this is going to be great. Like I have somebody to talk to for the rest of the night. And so I don't know. It's a feeling more than anything else. You just have to like, you really have to gauge people. And I like joke all the time about how we're like, we should all be like sociology majors because we have to really understand people in order to be good at our jobs. It's so true. And it was really funny talking to Sean and talking about his dad, Bob Kenyon, a lot. And a lot of the isms that Sean has clearly came from his dad. And he told one story that I think is interesting. I love to see maybe how this is reflected in, uh, in the way that you guys operate is he, 
was at a conference, a hospitality conference, and he was speaking or doing something, whatever it was, and he told his dad about it, or maybe he won some award. I can't remember exactly what it was. And we told so many stories. And Bob says, so wait, let me get this straight. You were at a conference to teach people how to be nice to people? And Sean was just like, you're fucking right, dad. Like, it's just like one of those. He wasn't trying to be mean about it per se. Yeah. It was just like, yeah. matter of fact, like, your job is to be nice to people. If, if you had to be taught how to be nice to people, you're in the wrong industry. And I think that's so, so like fundamental and, and true. There's I little totally. techniques and things that you can teach. So, so maybe reflect on that as far as how that is a part of your culture at uh, Williams Graham, Occidental, American Bonded, your whole company. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, it, it's, it starts off with just the policy being like, hospitality is number one, make people feel like they're coming into your living room. Like, so treat them with the kind of respect you would um, like a guest at your house. And you wouldn't like yell at a person at your house for like, I don't know, spilling a glass of water. Why would you do that at your bar? Um, so you just have to make it like really personal. So that's what we do at Williams and Graham. It's like, you're learning people's names. So you're talking to them like they're your friend. And so you kind of just have to tell people like, hey, like talk to these people like they're actually your friend and treat them with the kind of respect that you would want to be treated with. And so, I mean, I feel like that's the easiest way to do it most of the time. And you just obviously remind people like, hey, you know, somebody gets mad, like, don't get mad back. Just try and figure out what's what the problem is and kind of work your way around it. Sure. It's not a competition with yeah. your guest, right? Exactly. So hospitality to our external guests is very, very important. And we spend a lot of time on that. I think we could spend more time on developing that. Again, that you're lucky to be here attitude has no place in the industry as a whole, right? And so I'm also very interested in our internal guests, how we really define hospitality for our internal guests, because that's where we struggle, myself included. Every time I've taken people for granted, I've lost. And every time I've known that I work for them and that they are the most important asset because they're humans, not numbers. And thinking about it both from a hospitality and business standpoint, I've won, right? And I think that's yep. true across the board. It's very binary in that way. So with that in mind, I'd love for you just to think about a little bit and talk to us a little bit about the practical side of, of maybe who some of the people are and, and the things that they're doing really well that we can learn from and, and maybe create a little roadmap because clearly hospitality is something that you guys have been successful at. You have a really, really strong, strong team. And I want, I want to pull some nuggets from you to give other people in the industry, maybe a little bit of, like I said, a roadmap to defining their own internal guest hospitality and the people that are doing things well. Let's celebrate them a little bit and name drop as many of your team as you can possibly think of in that frame of reference. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I have, I have an awesome team right now. I think there's some of, some of my favorite people I've ever worked with for sure. And um, James Minkle does a really great job with, um, I mean, he's a teacher just like through and through. Um, he loves it when people come to the bar and like want to talk about things in depth. <laughs> and so um, he's like wonderful at doing that without sounding pretentious. Um, and so I think that is a really cool, if you're like super into the cocktail scene and you really like talking about like the ins and outs of everything, 
um, he's like a great person to learn from as far as that goes because he just he keeps it so like light and mellow um, while still being like extremely passionate uh, and he just does that really well and then my bar lead uh, Kenny Kenny Rempster he like uh, he's so he's so funny like he is easily he sells the most food of anybody that works there and it's not even by like we, we just have no idea how he does it sometimes. You're just like, how did you get him to buy like 18 hamburgers? Like, how does that even work? And he's like, oh, I don't know, just talk, talk to him. They were really nice. And um, so he's really great at just talking to people and understanding what they want before they understand what they want, <laughs> which I think is like a crazy skill to have. I'm still learning from Kenny. I have no idea how he does what he does. Um. But, like, yeah, those two guys are, like, behind the bar, they're just great to have together. They're just, they work really well off of each other. Um, and then Sean's brother, actually, Jimmy Kenyon, he, uh, he's, like, the nicest guy. He makes everybody feel super welcome. He makes everybody laugh. He's so funny. Um, seeing him behind the bar is just, he just recently graduated, um, so he just started being a bartender. But you can tell that that's like where he belongs. You can just feel, I don't know, the <laughs> the hospitality radiating off of him. He just loves it. Um, and then, I mean, like, she's a little bit newer to the industry. Not even to the industry. She's a little bit newer to like serving at Williams and Graham. Um, her name is Anna. And she is just like such a spicy little nugget. And she <laughs> manages to just make like the room light up every time she's serving she just everybody loves her energy she's like bouncing around all the time she really knows how to talk to people and make them feel like heard um which I really envy I think it's a really cool skill to have she's uh, really she's really blossomed as a because she also started off as a host so she got to she got to go through the war zone as well um and so she's really blossomed as a server um, and then, man, just everybody I work with, I feel like I'm going to go on for hours, but like, uh, yeah, like, well, somebody that I used to work with, actually, uh, Valerie Alvarado, she, uh, she was like a really big part of, I don't know, everybody learning hospitality at Williamson Groom. Like, she did it so well that everybody else wanted to be like on her level. And so she did like a lot of coaching for that as well. She just, <clears throat> I don't know, she's like sarcastic and snarky, but everybody just loves it. And she's at the same time, one of the nicest people you'll ever met, meet. And I think everybody was really, I don't know, you just want to have that skill. You want to be able to like joke with people. You don't want to be like sugar icing nice all the time. You want to be able to like, I don't know, be an interesting person. Um, yeah, and then I actually am working with my brother-in-law as well. His name is Killian. Um, he's really, <laughs> he has, like, made the service, like, all his own thing. He's taken our advice and then just changed it to work with um, how, like, work with him personally, and it's great. Like, he just, like, jokes with the tables all the time. He is one of the people that will spend like the most time at a table talking to everybody and everybody wants to be his friend afterwards 
I think he's probably made more friends working at Williams and Graham than anybody else. Um, and like, yeah, I don't know. We just have so many amazing people working with us right now. It's hard to. Sadie, this is perfect. Like, I yeah. can't tell you how good this is. I want to say a couple things to wrap this up. I don't know you. This is the first time we've ever talked or interacted. I know everything I need to know about you from a hospitality professional just by the way you talk about your people. And this is the most important thing in our industry. And like, it's why I literally started this podcast because you just found these things that are so personal about a half dozen people that is like everything. All of the skills that you talked about and, and their skills, but really they're like innate in them yeah. are all like reflections of the most important things in our industry. And just that you like are able to see them and what they're doing well, that's, that's like the game. That's the whole game as a leader in the industry. And so that I, I was really excited because just the way that Sean talked about you, just where our conversation started, I just left it open and you, you know, you're like, I could talk for hours and I guarantee that you could, and we will do another interview where you can, which I think is amazing. <laughs> it, you just found, and each of those things was different. They're all different in such a cast of characters. And that's why I love doing this because I don't care if only the half dozen people that you mentioned and the dozen people that Sean mentioned listen to this podcast and not a single other person does, I will feel like it is the greatest success ever because <laughs> they will have such a massive impact on our industry because they're like, fuck, I matter. And like the people that I work with know it, right? Yep. And that I think is super, super important. So thank you for what you do for the industry. I think it's super, super valuable and so, so important. Your team is lucky to have you. More importantly, you recognize that you are so lucky to have them. Sadie, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Best Served Podcast. Subscribe to our show and connect with us on social media at Best Served Podcast. Tune in next week to discover more unsung hospitality heroes.